Welcome to Employee of the Month. Here's your host, Katie Lazarus. Hi, hi, hi. Welcome to Employee of the Month show. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus, and I'm so excited to introduce this is the first fully released live taping. It was done in Los Angeles at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. And you'll get to hear from Common Rotation House Band, which is just so beautiful. And you can go to their website to check out more of their music. And Allison Silverman's on the show. She was the head writer at The Colbert Report. She's also written for Portlandia, The Office, Conan O'Brien, Late Night, as well as The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. I'm not kidding. I feel like I'm like listing dream jobs and it sounds like, oh, you're exaggerating, but no, no, no. And when you hear our interview, you'll know why. And then... Last but certainly not least, the iconic uh, Buck Henry. He wrote The Graduate, To Die For, among other films, and has appeared on Saturday Night Live 10 times. And he's also just a consummate actor. Most recently, you may have caught him on 30 Rock. So it was a joy to have Buck Henry on the show. He's a hero and a man about town and still funny as ever. So without further ado, please enjoy our interview. Can you hear my dog snoring in the background? It feels so sad that no one gets to fully enjoy what it's like to live with a 90-year-old man trapped in the body of a 23-pound Cavalier King Charles Cocker Spaniel. All right, enjoy our show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Employee of the Month with House Band Common Rotation. sure we get to them. She's written for Conan, The Daily Show. I love mispronouncing it. It sounds like she wrote for Conan, The Barbarian. Um, (laughs) The other, the other one. Um, She wrote for The Daily Show. She was the first head writer on The Colbert Report. Um, She's also written for The Office and Portlandia. I think I've just named every amazing show on television. Without further ado, let's welcome Miss Allison Silverman.
<laughs> Allison, so excited to have you. Is, is there anyone here who has not seen at least one of those shows? What, what a way to get a round of applause going, huh? <laughs> what about, like, in your off time, you've written for The New Yorker and This American Life and The New York Times, and on your on time, you've written for every major critically acclaimed fun show that's also popular. Like, it, do you have, you have no duds? Like, you have nothing that was, like, you shouldn't have done? Uh, okay. No, I mean, I, I, I certainly... <laughs> I, wrote a pilot, I wrote a pilot that, didn't, that NBC passed on. That's great. And That's I good worked on a pilot for HBO that uh, HBO decided not to do. Which but that I was like with that Spike Jones and John Hodgman? Yeah, that, yeah. That doesn't count as a dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's, like, That's like we all hope just to have that one thing. <laughs> what did happen to that pilot? Uh, well, it, would, it was for uh, a weekly talk show that Hodgman would host, and it was very cool and would have been a, a super great, you know, weekly show that took three months to edit, uh, basically. It was really fantastic, but they, I don't know, I mean, like the post just took forever, you know? It just, there was no way to really- Were you using Macs? Did you ask him if he could get you some free Macs? <laughs> we needed some Macs. <laughs> no, it really did, why did it take so long to do? Just well, it was really interesting, like the, um, a, a lot of, we wound up kind of using the live show as a jumping off point for like telling other stories, like things that would happen during the interview, um, you know, something happens between you and I and then that makes John think of something else and we go and produce something based on that and integrate it into the show and then part of the show actually took place in the editing bay as we would watch the edit and remark on things that, that happened. So it was very cool, but it just, the idea of doing that once a week is, you know, it's not really viable. Um, for HBO or for you guys? Because it sounds more like a Judd Apatow type of, that you're just going to do everything and then we'll edit it down. Is that what you're saying or no? Uh, well, if you're, if you're trying to do a show every week and you're building the show based on, kind of based on what happened live one week and you have to sort of create the stuff Oh, now I get it. That. Okay, not yeah. the sharpest tool in the shed. Okay, now I got yeah, it. Yeah, yes, yeah. I'm up to speed now. I think that's part of it. Mean, we just didn't realize how much on the post end there was going to be. I don't know, I don't know HBO's rationale, but that was something that I saw that... I thought was a, a, an issue, but it was, you know, it was great. I, I met uh, yeah. one of the Jets, uh, not West Side Story, but New York Jets. <laughs> <laughs> Which one was that? Uh, Nick Mangold. Mangold. He is, and he is, he oh is my God. a gold of a man. He, yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's unbelievable. Long flowing locks and a beard and like an adorable tiny wife. and Jewish? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, I think okay, so. Okay, Tennessee Jewish. <laughs> Not that it matters. When you um, when you when you first became um, a staff writer, were you nervous that like you wouldn't get the joke because all of these guys are all from Harvard? Well, th so there was a. Uh, was that I'm hard not to entirely in? sure this is true, but when I started the Daily Show, there was a rumor that the former head writer before I had been there. Uh, would burn the resumes of people from Harvard. Oh, I love this person. How do, um, how do I get his number? That's great. Uh, it was a she, in fact. She. Excuse me, I'm um, just sexist. See, there we go. So, but once I started, there were there were two guys from Harvard uh, and a lot of people from other places. And so other like Princeton and Yale. No, no. I, I mean, there are there. Are, I don't know all the colleges that that people went to, but it was it was not like that, to be honest. Okay. Um, yeah, it wasn't like that. It, w it really wasn't like that? I don't know. No, I really don't think it was. I mean, there were Dan and Charlie from Harvard, and I went to Yale. Um, but I'm, I really see, think I'm seeing the diversity the just as you speak. <laughs> <laughs> I'm catching on to it. Um, I always like to say, like, God, if I had known I'd gone to Harvard, that I would, like, get a job writing for TV, but I still wouldn't have gotten in. But I like to pretend that, oh, if I'd only known it. Yeah. Um, 
you are phenomenal at writing in someone's voice, you know, having to write for all of these shows. How do you make sure that you're writing in their voice, but also at the same time, like, just enough adding your own element that they're like, we have to have Allison? Uh... That's an interesting question. Like, I think that, I actually think that, like, in the case of Colbert, we were sort of developing, I was there when we were developing the show, kind of. So I, so uh, we were all creating that character together. So it didn't really uh, come into uh, play so much. And with uh, Conan, um, we got to do a lot of, you know, actors and character work. So I don't, I don't really know that, I don't know that I have an answer for that. I don't know that I've ever convinced someone, like, it must be Silverman. But can they, <laughs> can they look at, can you, or can you read the work and be like, I know that I did that joke, and I know that so-and-so did this joke? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I absolutely can. Like, I, I feel like it, it mostly involves, like, how sort of crafty it is. Like, I think some people really, really like to write very tight. They're really crafting the words, and other people like to sort of make it feel more loose. A lot of times it's that, or there's one writer who just writes about tech stuff constantly. His jokes always wind up being about technology <laughs> in one way or another. You know, definitely you can see those things. And does that, does that end up like becoming part of that person's character? I guess if they're good enough jokes, then it becomes like, then Steven suddenly is really into technology. Uh, yeah, definitely. You can have a couple of things that you sort of take a chance on, and then it becomes part of like the character Bible, you know? And then, all right, he has, you know, he has an undocumented worker who stands in his parking place every day, you know, and that's that's just his deal, you know. <laughs> I this is my my I didn't finish my doctor, but this is my theory that stand-ups weren't loved enough by their parents, and improv comedians were loved a little too much. <laughs> Did you see a difference in your bosses depending on which which world they came from, stand-up versus improv? That's interesting. So I don't. I'm thinking like, okay, I would say John, John Stewart was a stand-up, but Colbert was an improv person, Conan was a writer. Um, I don't really consider, I mean, he's done both, I guess. Um, and, but he, and he went to? Uh, yeah, 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 he Harvard. went to that school. Yeah, um, with John and Stephen, I think, I don't know, you may be on to something. I know that Stephen has uh, extraordinary, like, good stories about, you know, his parents and his very loving, huge, like, there are, yeah, a dozen, almost a dozen children or were, you know. And he, crazy. he um, said about, Stephen Colbert said about you that your Achilles heel is your humanity. And I thought that was, I thought it was interesting. I mean, <laughs> as, as a sensitive soul, I imagine like you need a little empathy to be able to write comedy, but that's obviously not the case. Or are most people not humane? Well, you know, I remember him saying that and feeling the same thing that I felt in, co I was in a college improv group. And we would go on tour and these like terrible things would happen. You know, the guys would like, get in these huge fights and someone's head would get slammed against a file cab. Like it was very, it got kind of violent. Wait, I'm, so, I'm like, it's like my head is gonna explode. Cause I can't imagine these sort of like not very muscular men <laughs> smashing each other. I mean, men is already a stretch. Like, there was a point. lot of, the, yeah, there were sort of various kinds of um, emotional and sometimes physical violence going on in this improv group. Is that because uh, all of them are virgins or something? I don't understand where the... the well, you know, like, I mean, I don't think, like... I don't, I it don't wasn't, um, I don't think that it was doing any major harm, but people are in college. Most of them were guys. They had a lot of aggression. There was a lot of, uh, occasionally, a lot of homoerotic stuff going on, it seemed like. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, what I remember uh, was that... Let me just get back to the humanity <laughs> point. <laughs> was that... I, uh, my friend Austin 
was a freshman, and he got his head slammed in this file cabinet. Like, it was an accident, but, you know, sort of a, <laughs> at any rate. And I was sitting outside with him, because he was upset, and I just said, you know, I hope, you know, I said something like, I hope you're okay, those guys are being jerks or whatever, and he said, thank you, you're the most human of all of them. <laughs> and went through my mind was, oh no, he thinks I'm not funny. <laughs> right, 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 no, it's true. Someone says, oh, she's so nice. I'd yeah, like, you're just oh. like, oh, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, right, that's terrible. But I don't think, you know, as I get older, I think that that is absolutely not the case uh, at all. Um, you know, obviously, the more sort of truth and like emotion you can get, I think it can be much, much funnier. But there is certain, certainly like a classic kind of brutal comedy as well. Steve McAuliffe seems so nice from that the outside world. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't know, how did you leave that job? You were the first executive producer and writer where you just burnt out? Mm. Yeah, I was really, really burnt out. I mean, it, it was, we sort of built this show when we had a tremendous amount of energy and then we did it daily for four years and we didn't, we tried a lot of ways, but uh, I think that at least I didn't find a way to make it uh, use less energy. And it was really, really hard. And I also, you know, it was a great challenge every day, but it started to be the same challenge. And I have a, I get bored of things very, very quickly, like much too quickly. I leave places too soon because I get bored. Well, I mean, most people don't have the advantage of being in the positions you are, but that said, once you are, it's very important to know when to leave. And I'm so impressed that you've been able to leave your jobs and your former bosses love you. I mean, you ha you, you're a word on the Colbert Report. Yeah. Allison, exclamation right. point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And the word is actually the part of that show that probably sent me off. <laughs> <In the laughs> it was place? so brutal writing that. It was very, very hard. Because you had to write two sides of the argument? Yeah, it was very, um, I mean, I loved doing it. It became sort of my baby, um, kind of. Uh, but it was excruciating hard because like, we would really try to sort of create an argument that we believed in. And, and then you're writing both sides. And it, you know, it's ha very tough. How did you know when to leave? Because I think that is an important thing for people in their jobs of not, not knowing when to go when you don't know what else is going to happen. You don't know if the next yeah. show is going to work out. You don't know if you're going to get fired the next yeah. day. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess I, I, uh, this is not going to be news to anyone, but like, I, I don't want to be the person who's been there so long that they hate everything they used to love. You know, I just never wanted to be there and, and start resenting a place. That's how I feel about The Shed. <laughs> <laughs> Totally get it. Yeah. Um, as your career flourishes, and I think this is very common in comedy in particular, some people's careers take off, some people have probably eclipsed you, and other people haven't quite made it. Does it put a strain in the relationships where people are at different points in their careers later? Does that make sense? I, I understand the question. I don't think that it. I don't think it has affected my yeah. friendships, to be honest. You'll yeah. still allow Julian Assange to stay on your. Is that true that Julian Assange <laughs> stayed on the couch of a friend of yours? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a friend of mine. Well, so I, I couldn't get rid of him. I should add. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I have a friend who is. I used to sit in front of him in Hebrew school because we in were seated Julian alphabetically. No. no, no, no. Let the friend. We were seated alphabetically, and his last name was Silverstein, and he grew up to be the very first employee that uh, Sergi and Larry at Google hired. Oh, he wow. is Google employee number one. Your friend. Yeah, 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 yeah. Talk about eclipsing. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. He could buy the moon. That's why he's thinking of eclipses. Um, but um, he, so he's like very, he's wonderfully sort of just exactly what you want. He's like super into Sesame Street and the Muppets, and he's like that strange sort of childlike genius. And uh, we were out hanging out one night, and he sort of just mentioned that Julian Assange, you know, crashed on his couch and wouldn't leave, and was very uh, 
very annoying and terrible. <laughs> Reinforcing what we already know, but it's oh, like yeah. nice to have this like window into. I saw in, in Dwell magazine this beautiful pictures of your gorgeous um, loft in Williamsburg and that you guys had shipped in um, from Vermont. You had shipped in diseased wood to make your dining room table. <laughs> and I just, I saw this and I was like, oh my God, like Portlandia is like a really personal show for you. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Do you want some kale chips? I have some, <laughs> if you need. I have a Park Slope sure. co-op bag. I'll take in the... them a little bit. Thank you. Well, um, I live in fear of the Park Slope co-op. Still, I'm uh, half. I'm across oh the country, I mean, and I'm still scared. Me. I've been suspended for a while. Uh, my husband is. Uh, he's suspended? a set designer. Okay. Um, so the house is. I mean, the apartment is really great because he designed it. You don't but have to eat had, those. No, no, I'm gonna try it. Oh. I haven't tried one before. But um, he. Uh, uh, yeah, at any rate, uh, it wasn't diseased wood. It was scraps because we're trying to, you know, keep the resources that we used in the house and not waste anything like the buffalo. For the record, in Dwell magazine, it says diseased wood. Specifically, it says diseased wood. <laughs> really? If you can get, the, the, there's a beautiful photo montage. I thought your farm was very clean, too. Who cleans the house? Well, we did. We did. Um, yeah, no, great. Portlandia was such like, yeah. I mean, living in Brooklyn, it's basically, obviously, Portland of the East. Um, I kind of I wanted to hear like <laughs> how did you how did you how did that job come about because that mm. I mean I guess yeah <laughs> that's how I mm. felt too should we share them with the mm. audience does anyone want some they're very they're kind of oddly garlicky guys these are eleven dollars okay someone should want these throwing these out I don't know eat up. <laughs> Um, how, how did Portlandia land about as, as a, uh, a job opportunity? I, uh, that pilot that NBC passed on mm -hmm. was with Broadway Video, Lord Michael's company. And um, I used to see Fred Armisen around New York every now and then. I'm not entirely sure how it happened, to be honest, but I think that I was sort of on their minds because I had written this pilot and I sort of knew Fred and that's, that's how it happened. I mean, it was, you know, very small operation at the start, so they just kind of were like, oh yeah, you'd be But there are only two people right for it, right? You and Kissel, or no? Uh, Chrysol. Chrysol, um, I apologize. Fred and Carrie and uh, Chrysol and me, yeah. Okay, they, I mean, love, they must have loved your pilot. I, I guess they liked my pilot, but I mean, again, like they, you know, uh, something in retrospect seems like, oh, you know, how did that happen? But yes. it seemed like this very small thing at the time. It was just like, oh, we're gonna try this project, you know? Did they ever come over and, and eat at the diseased wood table even? <laughs> no, they helped? did not, they did not. <laughs> But did it happen? No. We only <laughs> let lumberjacks eat at that table. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to show some, some pictures that you have. Jimmy, can we show the, the, the photos really quick? I wanted to hear a little bit about these. <laughs> this uh, is a Conan, a Conan party? Yeah, yeah. So this is my going away party from uh, Conan. And they did this thing, which I sort of love. Uh, as you see on the screen there, uh, it's part of this sketch that I made. It was amazing at Conan, you know, you could just create these sketches and all of a sudden they'd have amazing makeup people and set design people. And I wrote this sketch that made no sense and we produced it and it was called Fondue Wormhole. That's how <laughs> insane it was. But we went ahead and produced it and it, it was just, they put it on a loop at my party to make me uncomfortable. <laughs> I uh, now, I'm, now I'm understanding before when we were talking about the humanity. <laughs> Next slide really we just have a couple pictures. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. So this is when I <laughs> bitten by a dog in the writing room at Portlandia. <laughs> 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 
it was a rescue dog. And you know how you want to especially love rescue dogs? There's this thing where like, I want to love you, rescue dog. And they're a rescue dog. <laughs> so it bit me. <laughs> but I think I gave this to you because I was, what made me laugh about this moment is that I remember it happening and like, I mean, there was just blood going down my cheek and me being like, you guys, it's fine. Let's just keep pitching. Let's just keep pitching. <laughs> Do you have workers' comp? Uh, that I did file for workers' comp for that. Did. Yeah. Any. <laughs> uh, right. So, Colbert, we went to, uh, we went to Iraq. So this is on the way there. You have a private jet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's like slinky. a whole different viewpoint of the war. <laughs> and then the then next slide, what was this? Right, so uh, I really love this. This we were staying at uh, an estate of Saddam Hussein's that now you know U.S. troops were at, and uh, this was a lake that was a man-made lake that Saddam had stocked with fish. I think they were cod, but he was very, very proud of these fish. And the troops after breakfast would throw cocoa puffs to the fish, which I really loved. I love this idea of like just how much it would pain Saddam to know that his fish eat Cocoa Puffs now. I'm serious, he's giving them obesity. I feel like Bloomberg would be really upset too. Yeah, exactly. That's amazing. So I, you're this phenomenal writer and I really wish we had more time, but I did want to talk about one thing. I read your first piece of writing. Oh, oh yes, we do have one more. This is the, the Portlandia. Right, yeah, no, I think I, I, I sent this photo along just because I, I feel like this is a thing that happens all the time now where you take photos of the board so you can go and work on it. And where people are constantly taking photos of boards. I love this. So these are all the ideas you guys just put out. I see put a these bird were, on it. Um, I remember that one. Yeah, yeah. These were our uh, episodes. So it, this was like probably a quarter of the board. It would go down much farther. But And that's anyway. how you said you, you first go over ideas and you guys stick them to this board? We would stick a lot of them on, a, on another board just sort of randomly. And then we were starting to look at like how do we want to structure the show and what pieces we wanted to put in which episode and stuff, yeah. I'm going to go home and put boards on my wall so I feel part of the show. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. This is really neat, though. I remember some of those episodes. I did read your first part of, of writing, because I know you had, were working yeah. towards being a scientist. That's right. Um, and I, I, maybe the jokes went over my head, but association of 70 kilo Dalton heat shock cognate proteins with acclimation to cold... Yeah. I don't, I miss the jokes. <laughs> There's some funny, like, <laughs> centrifuge is, I guess, a funny word, and yeah. supernatant. Well, you got to see it, because the centrifuge goes vroom, 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 vroom. It's like, it's actually really funny. if you, It's a visual piece. <laughs> I, just in case, I, I have good feelings that your career is going to continue to flourish, but just in case you end up going into biology. I, Michelle, we were going to see, you, you were studying plants and what happens mm -hmm. if they get cold. <laughs> That's right. So Michelle was going to put some ice on it. And you tell us what's happening now. What's happening to the plant? What's happening? Okay. Allison, what's happening? Well, this is a cheat plant. <laughs> and uh, what's happening probably is that in its genome, gosh, I don't remember how this works. I never knew. Let's be honest. I never knew. Um, but uh, it, as time would go on, if this was happening for a week, it would become tolerant of the cold because of certain genes that are in its Honestly, we already believed you. We already believed you, and we know that you're going to have a great comedy career, so it's okay. But but, would you like to take this home, the cheap plan? Sure, okay, sure. Good. Allison Silverman, thank you so, so much for being here. She'll be back for the award.
Stop looking at yourself. I could be your man. You <laughs> guys at parties wanna get in your pants unless they know somebody. They'll never give the chance. You're supposed to be so impressed. How in command you can cry With how well you are dressed And how you played a corpse on CSI <laughs> Little Hollywood girl I'm your biggest fan If you stop looking at yourself I could be your man Selling your soul and using both holes <laughs> to take all that you can. Hollywood girl, I'd like to learn to love you. But we've been listening all night, and you're not funny, you're just mean. <laughs> You just want a good guy That is sweet and sincere well, There's no time for true love You're focused on your career Little Hollywood girl Don't say I'm so cool Because I paid to see your show Could send them my reel. You like to get them my headshot just as fast as I can. Little Hollywood girl, I'm your him from SNL. He was only the host 10 times. No big deal. Forget it, Justin Timberlake. <laughs> or maybe you saw The Graduate, one of the greatest films ever, or To Die For, or should we keep going and going and going? Get Smart. Have you guys heard of Get Smart? I have all his credits here. It's totally fine. <laughs> oh, Catch-22 I forgot about and Candy. I think we should just bring him out and talk to him instead of reading all of these amazing credits, which you can read online. Mr. Buck Henry! <laughs> Coming out of that few people. Amazing, isn't it? It's more than amazing. No, it isn't more than amazing. It's just about amazing. 
because the lights hurt my eyes. I'm very old, and I've looked into very many lights. <laughs> that is indeed true. Let's start with one of the first lights you looked into. We're just going to show this real oh, quick. Do I know what it is? I don't think so. Oh, okay. I mean, you may, when I hope you do when you see it. Although you may have done so many things that you may not remember this. I don't remember much. <laughs> okay, see if you remember so this quickly. one. Oh. Come on. <laughs> In theaters or even at home. Ah, here we go. Need help? Yeah, no power. It just goes. Air filter. Air filter? I'll show you. Feel <laughs> weak when you can't breathe, huh? Yeah. Your talk is weak too when it can't breathe. And a dirty air filter like this. Keeps your car from breathing. What wonder do I do? Get a new Purelator air filter. It'll let your car breathe easy again. It's 32 foot super micronic elements. Stops dangerous dirt particles and any other filters let through. Really? You get more power. And up to three more miles per gallon. Three more miles per gallon? A Purelator gasoline filter can make a big difference, too. Show me how that works. Your service station man will show you. Oh. What do you say? Get a new Purelator. Listen to the man. I wish this and Death of a Salesman, uh, two most memorable parts of uh, American theatrical culture. I can't remember her name. She was awfully cute. I can't remember if I got paid, which I guess I did, and I can't remember anything else. I'm guessing you didn't write it, though. I did not write it. No. I, I'm, I'm going I'm to no, guess I, that. I did three or four commercials in my checkered career. The only ones I wrote, actually, it wasn't writing so much as just improvising, was uh, on the way to L.A. from New York in the early parts of my career. This is in like the 1840s. Um, <laughs> I, I uh, would stop in Chicago to do a, who makes all the meat? Um, the meat people? The meat people. Uh, Oscar Mayer. Oscar Mayer. Good. Ooh, nice thank call. You. Thank you. Thank you, and thank you for the other names you'll be giving me later on. <laughs> I can't remember anything. It's the lights. <laughs> the, yeah, Oscar Mayer, and I would do improvised 30-second commercials. That was really fun. You would think in a city that had uh, Second City, even then, they wouldn't need me to come in and do it. But they did, and I was grateful for it. You were in a group of improvisers, the premise. That was in New York or in Chicago? It was in New York. And I was so impressed that what I consider real theater actors, which is you, would do an improv group. There was th that th they were all real theater actors. Well, now I, I, I'm generalizing, but it's pretty divided between who, who comedians and, and the dramatic actors. Oh, I actors. see what you mean. Well, in those days, you have to remember who came out of Second City. It's all major actors. <laughs> right. When the two greatest feeds for the New York theater in the 50s and 60s were, were the, uh, what was Strasburg and the Actors Studio and improvisational theater, which we had Second City and The Premise and several other groups in New York. Everybody went on to television and the stage and movies and your show. Yeah, if, if they're, only if they're lucky. Only if they're lucky do they get this far. You, you have said that you can write in anyone's voice and clearly you've adapted, I mean, you've done highbrow, lowbrow, and that doesn't even, that's such an overgeneralization, but if you can do The Graduate and Get Smart and To Die For, all these phenomenal things, is there anyone's voice who you would not write in, who you've said, no, I, I don't want to do that? 
I'm sure there is, but I can't remember who it was. Would it, could it maybe be, um, like, let's say Tom Wolf or something like that? Uh, yeah, actually, did you know this that I was asked to do a Tom Wolf? Yeah. Oh, you did. Uh, <laughs> but it wasn't his voice that stopped me. It was, well, Gus Van Zandt and I went in to see about the, the what's the limousine? No, the bus, the, the uh, Electrical Light. Uh, yeah. And, and Tom Wolf wrote the book. But Ken Kesey, no, Ken Kesey, it was Ken Kesey's adventure. Oh, it was about and him, Tom and Tom Wolf, Wolf wrote, wrote the, book. the book. So I didn't want to deal with two heavyweight, sometimes very angry writers. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've been very lucky in all the stuff I've adapted from other people. They've always liked it or pretended they did. But the idea of facing Kesey, who was Already, he was angry about Cuckoo's Nest. What, he was pissed about that Which movie? Which is a phenomenal film, right. Uh, so I didn't want to face that. No, there's a lot of voices of, of writers I wouldn't want to try out. But you got to work with Gus Van Sant later with To Die For. That's true. Did you want to work with him specifically on that? Uh, I did want to work with Gus. I loved Drugstore Cowboy and thought, oh, yeah. This guy knows what he's doing in a weird way. <laughs> and I liked the book very much. The book, which was written by Joyce uh, Maynard. Maynard. Yeah, who's, who's a phenomenal a writer and writes writer. for The New Yorker. And that was about a New England. It was a, like a real crime story in New England. Yeah. That was the hardest part to face, is if you're writing about characters that come out of real people in real situations, you know that somebody's unhappy or going to be unhappy about what's been done. So that was a real crime committed by a real person in real time. And they were all still alive, except for the guy who was killed. And <laughs> those families are wrecked because of it. And I, I, I am aware of the fact that you can barely write a line without disturbing. Let me back up and give you a more interesting example, perhaps, of this. In the third or fourth Get Smart, a couple of the guys came in with a great character, which was the Asian villain who lacked a hand. He had a, 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 a big claw, mm -hmm. which, which he kept saying, not the claw, the claw, <laughs> which was <laughs> really un unfairly racist. <laughs> but it was a great joke. <laughs> and he was a terrific actor. And anyway, after the first, he appeared several, we had him come back several times, the claw. Not the craw, the craw. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and so I got a letter after that first week saying, I know you're just trying to amuse people, but you should know that my nine-year-old son has been missing a hand since he was eight or something. Oh, wow. And so that we uh, won't be tuning in in case you make any more personal. So it doesn't matter. Whatever joke you make, you're gonna, you're gonna hurt someone feelings are hurt. Well, I think it also, like, you know, with Julia Sweeney, who, who was on SNL, and she did this phenomenal show about cancer. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes it's easier if it's coming first person. That's fun. That's interesting you should say that, because the only sketch... I said something good. That's what's great. That's well, good. I would I mean, say it was good. Oh, okay, okay, good. Okay. <laughs> it, it struck a chord. I, okay. The only sketch I ever turned down doing on yeah. SNL was a one about cancer, and that's because a very dear friend of mine was dying of it at the time. And, uh, you know, there are some places that you sort of have to censor yourself. If not, you're a jerk. 
I have no segue for that except into the politics of writing for different shows. You, you've spoken about how easy it was for you to adapt other people's voices, but that the politics were harder to get a hold of. I don't understand that. So question. at the Steve Allen show, you said that you, you that was your f first big writing job? Yeah. And that writing in someone else's voice came really easy, but learning how to deal with the office politics was a little bit harder? Well, uh, yeah, that's true with every job that requires a big bunch of people to do something. I, you know, I haven't done it in years, but I can't imagine what it's like now when they're really heavyweight with hundreds of actors and, and difficult, interesting scripts. And I, I, I hope to do it someday before I'm dead, so hurry up and offer me <laughs> the job. But Are there things that you're, you're like really, really, really still want to do? Because you, you've done everything. Oh, loads, yeah. There are well, loads of things. Every time I see a good show or a good movie, I'm pretty irked that I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> you were just in 30 Rock. You were Liz Lemon's dad. I wasn't just, but it was, yes. <laughs> pretty cool. And then it was nice being her dad. When you started at SNL, because you were at SNL from the very beginning, were they already rock stars? Oh, God, no. They no. were unknown. Oh, they were unknowns. Okay. Oh, yeah. Nobody would, but, but they got known very fast. If I told you the salaries, you'd think, no, that's a joke. I'm all ears. Tell me the salaries. I know you're all ears. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember. But <laughs> it was incredibly low, which is What's one incredibly of the reasons. low? Oh, $4 and change. I don't know. Okay. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Let's see. What, I got something like for flying in from L.A. and doing the show, I think I got like $750 as the host the first year. Um, That's great money. <laughs> I'm going to help you out at the end of this. Just before my 40th, I'm hoping I reach that bar. Was there a, was there a, because I mean, you worked with everyone from Warren Beatty um, to Dustin Hoffman to Candice Bergman, was there a casting couch? For me or for them? Either way, either way. Well, you know, <laughs> if there was, I wouldn't think of telling you. Okay. I, I think it's, can but I just tell you? Was there a hopeful note in that? Like, is, was well, it a casting couch? Like in, I mean, in school, in my, in my elementary school, middle school, and high school, actually, there were so many cases of teachers dating students, and I never was picked. Like, I never made the I cut. Every time I see in the news, and they're all, well, not all, but a lot of them are tall, incredibly beautiful blonde girls who have picked some 14-year-old geek to hang out in the back seat with. I can't believe it. I prayed for it as soon as I heard it. <laughs> and it never happened when you were 14. That was the bar mitzvah you did want to have. Oh, <laughs> What was it like co-directing co and, and writing with Warren Beatty on Heaven What do you mean, what was it like? Well, I usually assume there's a final say, and that is the, the director. But in your case, you've written and directed and really collaborated from everything from casting to, you know, you're on the sets of your movies. Did he have the final say or did you have the final say? Well, he was also the producer and the star. So there's no question that Warren had the final say. But if you're smart, you can talk him out or anyone else out of something if you can prove your point. But also because he was also in front of the camera, as was I some of the time, yes. it left someone to be on the other side of the camera. I mean, I could watch him through the camera as well as, I, you know, hundreds of teams have made films. and Collaboratively, where they're, they're, they really yeah. are a part well, of the Well, there are like five major brother combos 
who make films. Yeah, the Coen brothers got, got, well, there are three people who have been nominated as such, and you were one of that, those partners that were nominated. Oh, yeah, that's true. For an Oscar. It doesn't mean that other people don't do it, but I was, I was impressed to see two big heavyweights who I imagine have very strong opinions working so well together. Well, it was kind of fun, except for the moments when it wasn't. <laughs> Just like life. <laughs> I wanted to hear about Sina. I, was, I love pranks, and I was excited that you... Sina? Sina, excuse Did me. Did you explain yeah. to them I made what it, it into Sina. No, I was hoping you would. Oh, God. I didn't want to give it away. Sina, for those of you who are old enough to remember and feeble enough to enjoy. Uh, CINA was the Society for Indecency to Naked Animals. No, it doesn't make any sense. A, a guy I know named Alan Abel, a New York character, made this up one day when he had nothing else to do. And he said, do you want to come with me? I've invented an organization that, whose aim in life is to put clothing on the naked animals <laughs> of the world. I said, I, I've been longing for someone to ask me. Uh, and, and, uh, and oh, and he said, and you will be the president of it. G. Clifford Prout Jr., the president of, of CINA. And it took us a long way. We got headlines in newspapers you all could, over the country. You got onto Cronkite. Got onto Cronkite, for which he never forgave me. <laughs> and, and I felt badly about that because I love Walter Cronkite, but the guy, I can't remember his name, he's a major CBS correspondent, and he interviewed me at the Griffith Park Zoo. Carraway? Carraway? No. No. Carraway? No. Okay. I was just asking. <laughs> he interviewed me at the, I think he's on 60 Minutes now, in fact. Uh, he interviewed me at the Griffith Park Zoo as I was condemning it as the, uh, the zoo as the burlesque show of the animal world. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly reasonable. And, uh, and it got on to the evening news. I was leaving L.A. to get to New York to do a, another television show I'd been hired for. And in the meantime, it had been on, and somebody had said to Cronkite, well, you know, that's a bad joke. The guy's an actor. People know. But Barbara Walters took you seriously. Oh, Barbara. Should I tell that story? Yeah. It's only I mean, slightly unfriendly to Barbara. <laughs> but she can handle it. I was on the Today Show with Dave Garraway, and Barbara Walters was the girl Friday on that show. This is before any. Didn't of I say that name before? No, I don't need credit for everything, but I think I was like, kind of on the right track, you know. Anyway, yeah, keep going with the story. Yeah. <laughs> Give me warning next okay, time. Okay. Uh, and and I was describing, you know, I was saying what the, what Cinna did, which is pass laws to have cats and dogs and horses clothed so it wouldn't offend people and it wouldn't uh, distract motorists and cause accidents. <laughs> and Barbara Garraway knew what was going on, but Barbara was watching me and her eyes were kind of bugging out and she said, well, now wait a minute, you know, uh, the dogs, animals have their own kind of clothing. I, I, I mean... I myself, she said, uh, at home, or even when I'm not at home, uh, have, for instance, I have a big, black, shaggy, and then she paused. <laughs> and the cameras began to shake, because the guys <laughs> were going like And of course, she ultimately said Labrador, <laughs> to get us all off the hook. But it was a great moment. 
<laughs> so I think about her in a different way from most of her fans. Uh, I was watching Protocol, your film, and I was wondering if, do you think that Sarah Palin is inspired by how Goldie Hawn was in the movie? Do you think that Sarah Palin ripped off Goldie Hawn in Protocol? It never occurred to me. In fact, I don't quite understand what the question Well, here's like... <laughs> but that's I not unusual. <laughs> it may be me, you know, not you. I was watching Protocol, and Goldie Hawn seems so... She seems so ditzy and, and perfectly all-American, and I thought that maybe Sarah Palin had watched that movie and built her character around it. I don't think of her as being... Sarah Palin as being ditzy. Oh. <laughs> Am I wrong? No. <laughs> So Apparently I am. <laughs> well, All right, next question. Yeah. <laughs> I, you have said that you are an and expert. And I'll bet that Sarah Palin hadn't seen... Uh, Protocol. Protocol. Well, she may have seen Goldie and many things, but... But definitely not Protocol. I don't think so, but go on. Um, you said you are an expert at reading sight cards, cue cards. That's, that's the gift of Saturday Night Live. I could go in without any rehearsal at all and do the show. Can you read these? You aren't really anybody in America unless you're, if you're not on TV. Yeah, I can read. Okay, good. Wait, so, <laughs> I didn't know, so what does that mean? They hold it up and then you can see the cue cards from afar and that's how you know the you're not. The whole show is on cards. Is, uh, oh, that's right. Okay, so I was only an extra once. You can imagine why. But, but, but. <laughs> that I wasn't asked back. There are lots of movies that do that and lots of television that does it. Not regularly, unless it's live. There's no way everyone knows their lines on Saturday night. The only person who ever learned their lines that I can remember was Ruth Gordon. Oh, who's so great. Do you remember yeah. who Ruth Gordon yeah. She was in Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. She's fantastic. She was the best. But she had to memorize them because she was practically blind. So she couldn't see far enough at the cars to see them. And years before that, before you were, your father was even born, oh, great. Paul Muni did a spectacular live TV show but he couldn't get it all down. So they put a plug in his ear and they fed him the lines. If you could ever get a hold of it, it's really interesting to watch, to watch a great actor hearing the speeches he has to give just before he gives them. It's really interesting. I think also I may need to get someone to do that for me for the next show. Get the plug for her. Um, I, I want to thank you. I think you know it's debatable what the top 50 films are, and everyone has their opinions, but no one will ever debate that The Graduate was one of the top 10 films oh, in America. I thought you were going to say that Protocol wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Sarah Valen can say that, but I won't. Um, Buck Henry, thank you so, so much for coming. <laughs> Please check out Employee of the Month. Let's have our fancy award ceremony now. Michelle, are you ready? <laughs> if you're on a date, now is a good time to snuggle up. If you're not, you may just want to try your luck on the person next to you. And you can look under your seats also because someone has won a lotto card. Here they come. Ms. Allison Silverman, thank you so, so much.
That's it for this episode of Employee of the Month show. I want to thank Joel Arnold for editing this show together, as well as everyone at Upright Citizens Brigade Theater and all of you. Please support the podcast. You can go to employeeofthemonthshow.com to do your thing. And I'm bringing my computer over. See if she can still snore. Do you hear that? 23 pounds all night. That's what I'm going to get. Dogs are lucky. I don't know what to tell you. I feel like dogs are really, really lucky. So am I for having this show with you all. Thanks very much. All right, lady parts. Wakey, wakey.